Here on Gadget Lab, we dive deep into the tech universe, tackling questions like, is giving companies access to your genetic material a good idea? And are the latest phone releases really that different than the last ones? We want to help you make informed decisions about what is worth your attention. And here's something that is undeniably worth your time, a digital subscription to Wired. Lucky for you, we are giving Gadget Lab listeners an exclusive discount, 20% off an annual subscription to Wired. Just visit Wired.com and use the promo code GL20 to get 20% off a digital subscription. Use GL20 to get exclusive access to stories on the latest innovations like AI, deepfakes, and VR, as well as today's most talked about people in technology. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. AI is making waves in every field it touches. President Biden is now on TikTok and the election draws closer each day. With so much going on in the world, it is hard to keep up with it all, let me tell you. Hi, I'm Kai Rizdal, the co-host of Make Me Smart. It's a podcast from Marketplace. And every weekday, Kimberly Adams and I break down the latest in business and the economy with short daily episodes to make it easy for you to stay in the know. Listen to Make Me Smart wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Welcome to this special live taping of Gadget Lab. I'm Lauren Good. I'm a senior writer at Wired. And I am Michael Calori. I'm a senior editor at Wired. And this is our first Wired podcast of the year. And fittingly, it's our CES show. Um, it's Wednesday. The show officially started today, though we here at Wired have been taking briefings and just covering the event. It seems like, I don't know, snack. It seems like weeks now. Days? Yeah, it feels months. Yeah, it feels like we've been doing this since like the day before Christmas, probably. <laughs> Pretty much. And as you might be able to tell if you've tuned into the stream, we're not there in person. Wired, along with a lot of other companies this year, decided to participate in CES virtually for health and safety reasons. But we are still keeping a very close eye on the event. We've got a lot to talk about. We're going to get into all of the big trends that we're seeing this year at CES, some interesting new products. And we're going to talk a little bit about um, what these new technologies mean for the future of tech, like how it lays the groundwork for other tech that we're going to see emerge this year. Um, also, I should note that if you have questions for us during this special live taping, you can send them to us at Gadget Lab or at the main Wired account on Twitter, which is just at Wired. And we're going to try to get to them later on in the show. Um, and we would just love to hear your questions. So send them along. All right. So we're going to have a couple guests with us today. First up is Julian Chicato. He is Wired's review editor. And then later on in the show, we're going to have Adrian so on as well. And Julian's going to stick around. But first, let's go to Julian. Julian, thanks so much for being here or there or in the metaverse or however. How are we describing where we are? I'll, I'll take metaverse. Thanks. Thanks for having me. All right. So, Julian, your coverage typically at Wired spans a lot of different categories of 
phones, PCs, AR, VR, micromobility. Uh, there's a lot going on there. Um, which categories so far would you say stands out to you of all the areas you cover? Which area stands out to you the most so far at CES this week? Well, I think, I guess the first thing I maybe that caught my eye uh, that I saw at the show was um, when Intel randomly announced that it was, you know, going to unveil this technology later this year called, uh, well, it's part of the acquisition um, of Screenovate. And so you're going to be able to look at your iMessages on a Windows laptop or check potentially your Apple Watch ECG readings on your Windows machine. Uh, kind of weird and kind of, you know, random out of left field thing, uh, but very cool in a way that like it's one of those features that, you know, if you're in the Apple ecosystem, you're completely used to it. You are obviously from your iPhone going straight to your iPad with the same Safari uh, web page, or you can read your iMessages on your MacBook and you can do all sorts of things like that that are just pretty much have been normal things on Apple devices for several years. And to finally see something like that happening potentially with iPhones and um, with, with Windows machines is kind of exciting. And, and this was sort of aided further when Google also announced today, I think it was um, FastPair, their technology, which lets you quickly uh, connect your headphones with your Android phone with like a seamless one second approach. Um, that's sort of expanding. So now you can do the same thing. You can connect uh, FastPair headphones with your Google TV very quickly. And eventually this is also going to allow the uh, headphones to basically automatically switch between devices. And that's tied to your Google account, very similar to how AirPods can just magically switch between your iPhone and your iPad when you're sort of switching between those devices. So it's just, you know, it's, it doesn't necessarily seem like a, you know, something that's going to blow you out of the water, but it is definitely one of those things that every day uh, I'm just very happy not to be able to soon uh, have to repair all my devices to each device that I switch to. It's kind of interesting to me, Julian, that the first thing that comes to mind for you are actually software inventions, not so much new gadgets. Yeah, I mean, I'd say mostly a lot of the things that I, uh, maybe that stuck out to me um, have been, uh, related to software, because I think we're getting at a point where a lot of the devices have gotten just, you know, pretty great phones and pretty great laptops. And it's hard to make a bad product, I think, you know, knock on wood. But um, I think software is where we're seeing a lot of that innovation. And, and um, that said, uh, the other sort of big thing that stuck out was uh, a, a lot of devices with a crazy long battery life. And this sort of spans various categories uh, and not just uh, really long battery life, but also innovative ways on how to recharge those devices. Um, one of the things that I think everyone here at Wired liked was uh, Samsung's Eco TV remote that they're gonna start packaging with a lot of Samsung TVs. Uh, it's basically harnessing excess Wi-Fi frequencies to power the remote. So it just sits there on your coffee table. You don't need to plug it in. You don't need to swap batteries. And it's just going to recharge itself based from, from your Wi-Fi signals. And that's kind of insane and really smart. And that's something that I think we're slowly going to start seeing with a lot of these other home gadgets that, you know, uh, I don't want to just have to keep using AA batteries and AAA batteries and sending all of those to landfills. Um, and and that, that's, not, that's just one of the 
uh, one of the ones that was using Wi-Fi technology. There's another one. Um, we reviewed uh, a pair of Urbanista headphones last year. The company that was behind the technology for that, that enables them to recharge with the power of the sun, uh, is now putting it into speakers. Uh, it's The company is called Exiger, and they're partnering with a company called Mate, and they're making this speaker that basically will recharge through natural and ambient light. So I think, you know, again, going to that sort of whole thing about everyday gadgets just that don't require too much power. Hopefully you don't also need lithium ion batteries or, uh, you know, AA batteries and th th things like that, that would potentially be um, not so great for the environment, but using renewable sources of energy or um, Wi-Fi. So, yeah. The battery tech to me is one of the, the more interesting innovations this year, uh, particularly because like, there was also, I think, a pair of headphones um, from HyperX that the company is claiming gets 300 hours of battery life per charge. And we're seeing like modest gains in things like PCs, uh, which are, you know, typically last all day, but now can last longer than a day, like a day and a half in some models because they have mobile chipsets in them, right? So they're much more efficient. And like battery technology being better is one of the great hurdles towards like sustainability in consumer products, like the, the fewer things that we have to throw in landfills, the better, the less energy we have to consume to use our devices, the better. But all of these things that we're seeing this week and the things that we're going to be hearing about over the next year or so, they're all relatively low power things like remotes, speakers, headphones, uh, you know, phones, laptops are sort of the next uh, layer here that we have to get better battery life in and think this is, you know, it's obviously going to become better in the future. And I think where it's going to get really exciting is when we start seeing very high powered electronic machines get much better battery life, things like electric cars, because you, you can think about like the range problem with electric cars right now. If that effectively becomes eliminated in a few years, that's going to be absolutely huge for the EV market. Right. Mm -hmm. And also like e-bikes, the same thing range on e-bikes, power on e-bikes. If you can go three or four, five times as far on an e-bike charge, that's also going to be revolutionary. So I'm all for like never having to charge my remote, but when I don't have to charge my Nissan, then it'll be even better. Yeah. And there was a Mercedes uh, car at the um, event this week too, that it, it, it was called something like the uh, I'm going to get it wrong. Like the Vision EQXX or EVQXX or something like that. And sometimes these naming conventions make my head explode. But they're, I think they're claiming 600 miles plus in range if the thing ever ships. And so, yeah, I think that is going to be really exciting. And one of the things, and we're going to bring on Adrian later to talk about micromobility and personal transport devices because she tests a lot of them. But one of the things that we talked about before too is there could be this really cool little e-bike or scooter that's like, oh, great. It's like, it's really easy to transport and bring on the train or like tuck away when you get to the restaurant, but then it, it only lasts for like 20 miles and you're like, okay, great. So where am I going to charge it in the interim? Um, but uh, yeah, so battery life, very important. It turns out, I was talking about this earlier with Brian Barrett on one of our webcasts from Wired HQ. It like turns out that um, sometimes it's not all of the whiz bang, fancy, weird stuff at CES that's most exciting. It's actually just like making our lives a little bit better by improving conveniences. And one of those things is in fact, battery life. True innovation looks pretty boring. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. look at 
the new Motorola Buds, for example, they announced a new pair of Buds that have 18 hours of battery life, which is, and, and that's not in the case, that's separately just the Buds. You can literally just stream music for 18 hours, uh, which is kind of insane, especially considering like AirPods are four to five hours at the moment. So um, it is exciting and definitely one of those things that just impacts your everyday life. So Julian, one of the notes that you made when we were talking about this podcast earlier was that you said that you're noticing a trend of webcams getting better. And I would just like to state for this podcast and for the world and for anyone who's working on webcams, that it's okay if they don't get that much better. Like I'm personally okay with just like slightly fuzzy, you know, Skype circa 2010 kind of, uh, you know, Gaussian blurs, you know, we don't need to get super high def in our webcams, right? I could, I could, I could, I could see that sort of argument. Uh, Am I alone in that? I get it. Um, I mean, I think from from my perspective, uh, it's more to do with low light. I guess, like, I am currently in my bedroom and I have two different lights beaming at my face, basically blinding me to be able to produce <laughs> this like quality of video that I have right now. If I didn't have those there, I would look awful. So, uh, you know, I, I just think. This year is the first one of the first few years where I've actually seen manufacturers take some time to, to say, hey, we have a better webcam, which is just that was like the, all I needed. Like I didn't I don't need like fancy 4K features or whatever. That's nice to have. But just acknowledgement that current webcams are bad and that they're finally getting a little better. That's just yeah, that's all I want. Yeah. Was there any specific laptop or webcam that jumped out at you this week during CES? Well, uh, Dell uh, is coming out with a monitor with a built-in 4K HDR Sony webcam. Uh, it's like this gigantic little circle that just sticks out. Uh, looks intense, and I'm sure you will hate it. <laughs> um, and ThinkPad, uh, uh, Lenovo also has a ThinkPad X1 line, and they sort of specified a focus on, on improving their webcam. And also Anchor came out with a sort of a, uh, a really interesting looking uh, webcam with a built-in privacy cover, and they're using you know AI algorithms to uh, automatically uh, focus in on you and you to sort of zoom in maybe when your cat is crossing uh, your your stream or something like that. So uh, they're they're definitely playing around and, and adding more uh, you know machine learning features into these cameras, not just improving the quality, but um, I think that there's been a real demand for. Uh, just better webcams that are than just the standard fair 720p thing that's been on our laptops for dozens of years. I do think the potential AI element there is cool. Like as much as I, I don't necessarily want like the super duper high res camera, you know, something that like right now would use artificial intelligence to to like see that there's a glare in my glasses. And all of us are wearing glasses, right? So we all suffer this problem. Um, and would be able to eliminate that in some way, or like there's a lot of stuff going on right now with eye gaze too, which is kind of cool. Like you're looking down at notes, but you could potentially like have your eyes looking upward. Um, that that's really fascinating. Yeah, it would solve the uh, the weird camera placement on uh, iPads during FaceTime calls, right? So if you'd like to use your iPad during FaceTime calls, it looks like you're always looking over to the side when you're talking to the person. They could software correct your eyes and snap them back to the camera. That'd be uh pretty dope. I know a lot of people are looking forward to that someday. And also someday. just as many people are dreading that someday. <laughs> <laughs> Julian, um, we can't get through this podcast without talking about the metaverse. I already had one mention at the top of the show. So for those of you who are listening, if you're playing a drinking game, here's your opportunity to do another shot. Metaverse. So, uh, you know, 
for years we called this AR, VR, more recently it was referred to as XR, which means cross reality or extended reality. But CES is usually a place where you get to see some interesting new headsets um, and heads up displays that are going to power this, this sort of next level experience of the metaverse. Have you seen anything this week I keep saying seen because all of us, of course, haven't been able to like put these things on our faces. But have you seen anything this week that jumps out at you in the metaverse? Uh, I suppose um, the biggest thing for me, I suppose, would be um, Qualcomm had announced that they are working on a next gen chip with Microsoft on that will power sort of the next gen smart glasses from Microsoft. So that is just something that was an announcement. It's sort of something to look forward to, but it is definitely like one of the you know big tech companies is working on this thing. And it's in the context of uh, having consistently heard that Apple is working on AR glasses. And I think recently there was news that Google is also definitely going to be working on um, their, their own AR glasses as well. Um, you know, I think it just leads to like, okay, this is happening. Maybe 2022 is the year that we'll see some big names enter this uh, smart glasses uh, industry that's not sort of existing yet. I mean, so far, a lot of the things are basically glasses that are just displays, which is by far still the thing that you see the most. And also by far still the thing that's the most disappointing tech, in my opinion, uh, because, you know, you, you sort of want to wear glasses and have all this cool st stuff happen. but at the, the present time, when you try these things on, like TCL has Nextwear Air glasses that you put on, and it's basically just mimicking your phone screen on the lenses, which, you know, I suppose has utility and is cool. Maybe that's, uh, you know, cool as a stretch, but they look clunky. They don't really do much <laughs> other than basically paste your phone on the uh, glasses, and they don't really, uh, they're not futuristic. They're not like, you know, showing me all sorts of crazy things in real time. Uh, that's what I think is going to be more exciting. And uh, so far, I think it's mostly just Qualcomm. Um, and well, I guess I can't, I should also mention PSVR because that's uh, right. the metaverse. Um, but PS, uh, Sony announced that there's going to be a PSVR 2. Um, that's actually pretty much all they said. They, they didn't show us a picture. Uh, they said there's going to be controllers. <laughs> Which is nice, I guess. Uh, and there's going to be one game, a Horizon Call of the Wild, Call of the Mountain, not Call of the Wild. That's a book, um, but Call of the Mountain is from the Horizon franchise, and uh, it's a, sort of a follow-up, or I guess it's a just a VR version of that um, game. And that's exciting because the PlayStation VR kind of, you know, became supremely popular with the the old gen uh, PS4. So PS5 is becoming increasingly popular. And I, su I suppose this will be a foray for a lot of people to enter VR uh, with their existing consoles. And that's, that's exciting. That's also very Sony, isn't it? To like host an event and be like, we've got this really amazing piece of hardware coming out, but you can't see it yet. I remember they did that years ago with one of the PS consoles at like an event in New York and... You know, the, the diehard fans are going to wait for it regardless of what it looks like. So, um, well, Julian, uh, it sounds like you are mostly not impressed with the metaverse at CES this week, but there are glimmers of hope in the future, thanks to Sony. I'm, um, I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> I mean, you don't have to be optimistic. You can just unleash on this podcast if you want, Julian. Um, but hold that thought, because um, we're going to wrap up this segment 
Uh, but we want you to stick around because we're going to bring you back later in the show to answer some uh, listener questions and to give your recommendation for this week. Um, and again, I should tell everyone who's out there listening, if you're listening live and you have any questions for us about CES or really about anything about life, I mean, Mike gives great life advice, send them to us at Wired at the main account and we're going to get to them uh, in just a bit. This podcast is supported by Tools and Weapons, the podcast hosted by Microsoft Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Each episode features insight you won't find anywhere else from the center of the conversation surrounding emerging technologies like AI. Right now on the podcast, you can hear a special episode where Brad Smith lays out Microsoft's vision for a vibrant marketplace driving the new AI economy. To hear more, follow or subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith wherever you get your podcasts. Want a new podcast to look forward to each week? One that's entertaining, informative, and packed with actionable content? Come on, of course you do. Introducing The Jordan Harbinger Show. The Jordan Harbinger Show, which Apple named one of its best of 2018, is aimed at making you a better informed, more critical thinker so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening, even inside your own brain. Jordan dives into the minds of fascinating people, from athletes, authors, and scientists, to mobsters, spies, and hostage negotiators. Search for The Jordan Harbinger Show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R, in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening right now. Now, I'm really pleased to welcome Wired Senior Associate Reviews Editor, Adrian So, also joining us from the metaverse, in this case, the Portland metaverse. Is that correct? Hey, Adrian. Hey, Lauren. Completely correct. Nothing here is real. It's awesome. Hi. Adrian, the last time <laughs> I saw you, we were both, we were speaking of the metaverse. We were in the MetaQuest 2 headsets playing a boxing game together on a Saturday night. I may have just revealed this as like total nerds, but that's... It's nice to see you and not your avatar. Or the coolest people ever. It's nice to see me when I am not beating you. <laughs> oh, it is on. It turns out Adrian has this extreme competitive streak. Like it's it's intense. She's like right now she's been you know she's been tweeting at me and Syra Mueller calling us suckers on Twitter today. So it's like it's, it's on. I think I think Cyra let the battery run out on her headset in order to get away from me. So <laughs> we're gonna have to go. We're gonna have to do a rematch once Cyra, you know, charges her headset and gets her gumption back up. So that's I'm right. Prepared. That's right. And my I, internet was down. <laughs> yeah, having internet troubles. <laughs> Sorry, gotta go. Right, so Adrian, you're, <laughs> you are another one of our longtime Wired veterans and CES veterans. Uh, you cover a lot of home tech, health tech, wearables, personal transportation. Um, we're going to get to wearables. Let's start with home. So home tech is definitely not a new category at CES, especially with just with the like pl proliferation of, of IoT products over the past few years, like everything from like your toothbrush to your doorbell getting a 
a Bluetooth and wireless chip. There's been a lot of home tech, but now it's like we're so much more focused on our homes. We're spending so much more time at home. Uh, it's a it's a pretty hot category. What have you seen this week that stands out to you in terms of the smart home? Well, it's kind of running on similar themes as what Julian was talking about, which is that everybody has all this stuff, and you want it just to work together. So, like. If you have a Samsung robot vacuum and Samsung has a hub, like the way you would make all of your home appliances work together would be to have your Samsung vacuum and then add your, you know, your Samsung washer and dryer and just to have everything be made by one manufacturer under one hub, one app on your phone. And, you know, if you have a, a bunch of different speakers in your house, they're probably, they're all going to be Sonos's or they're all going to be, you know, HomePod minis, and that's how we get things to work together, which doesn't really work if you're trying to get your like toothbrush to match up with your like faucet or whatever you're doing nowadays. So <laughs> the way that <laughs> I know, the way that I just want everything to turn on around me like a god, but the what the way we're working on this right now, we I personally am working on this um, is with smart home. <laughs> alliances. So so we, you may have heard of the Zigbee connectivity standards. Um, we're tech reporters. I barely did anything with Zigbee at all. But there's a new um, smart home alliance called Matter, which is endorsed by Amazon, Alexa, Google. And then at CES this year, uh, the Home Connectivity Alliance uh, was announced, and that's a partnership between hardware manufacturers like Samsung, GE, Electrolux, I think, are a couple of the people who are working with the Home Connectivity Alliance. Um, I'm not really sure where it's going, but it just speaks, it's really interesting to me to figure out how people are going to you know, guide their shopping choices in the future. For example, Arlo, it makes some of our favorite, you know, webcams, and they just announced that they're working with Matter. You know, IKEA is working with Matter, but GE makes most of our most of our refrigerators and washers and dryers. Does that mean you're going to go with a hardware manufacturer for a webcam that works with, you know, the Home Connectivity Alliance versus Matter? Are these things that regular customers are going to care as much about as we care about? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Right. And are they two like warring alliances? Go ahead, Mike. I've been talking a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. Um, you know, for a long time, the thing that was the glue that connected all these things together was Amazon Alexa, right? Like it's, it's always been like the voice layer has been the thing that connects it together and that sort of ambient computing layer where, you know, the camera sees you come home and then it silently tells your thermostat to adjust the temperature. Like those things have always been proprietary connections. So just the fact that you probably, if if this goes according to plan, if these alliances actually you know bear fruit, it'll be that you can do those ambient computing things between devices by different manufacturers, and you can also do them without having to ask a voice assistant to control the things for you, which is like exactly what I want. I don't want to have to talk to my house. Yeah, I've seen a couple of those, you know, ambient experiences here at CES too, um, like with the the Kohler uh, digital showering experience, because I need, you know, the most the most flattering lighting and only the most soothing aromas to greet me <laughs> as I run into the shower after my gym, like 
That would be, yeah. I don't want to interrupt things with this squeaky old, you know, chatterbox. So. <laughs> Um, and there, for a while, there was also Nest, right? I mean, Nest, which is which is now a part of Google, and I think a lot of the products have just be, been rebranded Google Home or whatnot. But um, but they were doing like their works with Nest thing for a while, and I think eventually they wound that down, and it turned out that like maybe it wasn't the best solution to just have one company establish a standard and say we're going to develop the standard. You can have your your you know put out a software development kit. You can have your hardware work with this and just this. Like I think consumers do, they want security, first of all, right? So these alliances are undoubtedly gonna be talking a lot about home security and what the protocols are for that. But consumers really just like want everything to kind of work together. They, I don't think they wanna to go to the hall, like the, you know, the halls, the hallowed halls of Home Depot and Lowe's, but I don't think they wanna go and say, is this, does this work with H, what is it called? HCA, H HCA. Yeah. HCA, oh, is it's, this HCA compatible or Matter compatible? They're gonna go, oh, does this work with like my Apple phone? Yeah, it's interesting to me because there are also like multiple layers of devices, you know, like, so matter, like Asa Alboy, you know, you've got your like locks and your webcams and your like smart locks, but then, you know, Google doesn't make a washer and dryer. They don't make a refrigerator. Those are the kinds of things that, you know, GE, uh, that, you know, GE is going to make. I think the one interesting thing to me is that Samsung does make, you know, these multiple layers of devices. They make everything mm -hmm. from, you know, the smart robot vacuums to, you know, your cameras and everything. And they are in both those sneaky bastards. So And they also have yeah. uh smart things, right? Isn't smart things like yeah. their own home platform that for a while there was like a works with smart things thing going on. Yeah. That still exists. That's that's still it going. Does. That's still going. Yeah. Okay. They're definitely okay. hedging their bets there. So <laughs> Interesting. Um, should we talk about personal mobility, micromobility, personal transport? I don't know, Mike. What would you call it? Scooters. Um, I would. Yeah, I would call it micromobility. I think that's what most people call it now. But yeah, okay. like things that get you around the city that aren't cars or public transportation. Sorry, Mike. I cut out for a second there. But I assuming I'm assuming now that we're talking about bikes because yeah Mike didn't ask you I a do. question Mike just said oh. <laughs> micromobility and wants you to just go yeah and it did and it worked my heart rate went up by like 30 beats per minute the minute you the minute I did not hear you say that Mike but <laughs> so electric bikes um the thing that I have been seeing a lot here is again it is not I mean there are hardware stuff that there is hardware that I am excited about. But one of the most exciting things is seeing um, electric bikes uh, made by Panasonic that are UL certified. Um, so when people ask me, why do you want to spend more money on an electric bike? You know, the main thing is safety. Uh, you don't want the bike to set on fire in your garage. You don't want pedals to be like snapping off when you're going 20 miles per hour on a, on a rainy road with your kids. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of cheaper bikes, they don't have the, you know, the facilities or the money for like QC, for, you know, extensive QC testing. Um, and one of the uh, certifications, I think it, I, the name is escaping me right now. It's like Underwriters something UL. 
their third party uh, battery and safety certification that uh, Panasonic has just announced uh, that they are debuting two bikes at CES here that are UL certified. And that's why my personal bike has a Bosch drivetrain because for a really long time, Bosch were one of the only companies whose powertrains were also UL certified. So the fact that um, third party manufacturers are, the, the fact that bikes are now touting their like safety certifications is something that uh, I'm pretty excited about given that I like having my limbs like attached to my body. And one of, I'm totally going to butcher this other name. Uh, it's German. The initials are E-F-B-E. I think people pronounce it like E-Fib. So those, that's fatigue testing to make sure that frames are not going to bend or snap on you. And that brings me to the other exciting development that I've seen at CES, because we've been talking a lot about bikes and e-bikes, especially as personal mobility uh, vehicles, but they are also like totally awesome as commercial cargo solutions, especially in dense cities. I think there's some recently published studies that say like, uh, like a delivery person riding a cargo bike in a city can deliver like 10 packages an hour versus six packages per hour for someone in a van. Like if you can just roll up onto the sidewalk and just toss an Amazon package at someone's door, that's going to be so much faster than like a van driver, even an electric van driver. That's going to be so much faster than an electric van driver like pulling up to the sidewalk and like trying to find a safe place to get out of traffic. And so uh, it was exciting to see uh, Turn and Carla cargo trailers uh, exhibiting or, you know, meta, meta exhibiting at CES this year. <laughs> I don't know. We can, we can coin our own portmanteau right now. <laughs> this is what, that's what we're here for. Um, so Carla Cargo uh, Trailers, um, they're a European trailer company that allows you to haul a ton of SHIT anywhere you go. And that, so commercial cargo, commercial cargo solutions on, on bikes that have been tested to be extra tough. Like, I am excited to see that. And that, I mean, you could buy, I mean, it's, this is especially great for small businesses because you can buy like a ton of bikes and trailers for the same, like for way cheaper than, you know, one electric van. I don't even know what those cost now, like $100,000 or something. So keep that in mind. This is a, <laughs> this brings me to the pods. I feel like we have to talk about the pods, not AirPods. Um, two companies, LG Electronics, which I believe was the very first press conference of press day. Uh, on Tuesday of the, Tuesday or Monday, what day? Is, what is time? I don't know. Earlier this week, and then um, Hyundai, which uh, had its press conference a little bit later, they both showed off. LG showed off something called the Omnipod, which is a cabin on wheels. It's like this little futuristic cabin on wheels. Um, it's autonomous, and the idea is that it would be whatever you want it to be, whatever you need it to be. Do you need a mobile office? That's great. Use it as your office. Do you need a, a fitness studio on the go? 
it's great. Put your Peloton in there. Do you need um, Do you need to shop for groceries and then have the, the, the thing just wheel you to the grocery store? That's great. You can use the touch screen and shop for your groceries in advance. Do you need a second home office because your family is driving you insane and you need a place to go? It's great. Just park it in the driveway, plug in your Omnipod, and there's your mobile office. Like, it was so futuristic and yet so dystopian. And then Hyundai showed off a version of a pod as well. Although theirs was a little bit more like there was one example, there was like this art in the background where you can see them like sliding up the sides of buildings, the pods going up like your own little <laughs> elevator portal. And then like they're on a train. And I was like, I actually am not quite sure what's going on here and whether this is like a con, of course they're concepts, they're concepts, but like, what do you guys make of this? Is this, is this like, is this really the way we're going to be living in the future? We're already pretty isolated these days. Like, are we just, are we going to be living in pods? Do they suggest something about personal mobility and micromobility in the future that like maybe we shouldn't overlook? Or are these just like crazy concepts that they're using to get attention? And now I'm talking about it on our podcast. Lauren, uh, before we continue about pods, I would like to mention that I live in the future and time and space no longer exist for me. And I have an AI and my computer that's keeping my eyes focused on you. And I'm actually clipping my nails and, <laughs> and playing checkers with my daughter in the future here and not paying any attention to you at all. Um, this is, it is all nonsense <laughs> it's like the, the you know the omnipod you know it just seems kind of like i i'm about to get real dark here all of a sudden but the omnipod seems kind of like a modular r i mean it just looked like a modular rv to me and that was uh a little, I mean, it looked awesome, but I also was picturing like tons of these just like parked in the Google parking lot so that they didn't actually have to make like the two oh. hour trip to, because I do have engineer friends like this and I suggested that he get a Quest 2 so that he could also play boxing games with me because I just love to fight. And he said that he didn't want to get one because he didn't want to be playing it in the parking lot in front of his van. And so if he had a pod, then he could just, you know, bump out the top, put out his fitness studio flooring, and then he could have played, he could have played, uh, you know, Fit XR with us. But uh, this is, you know, it's, it's the future. It's the future, Lauren. It's the metaverse. It's the metaverse omnipod, and now I'm just now I'm just rambling, just thinking about. No, I mean, so so I think what you're saying yeah. is that some of these technological solutions are in search of a problem instead of like addressing an actual problem, like like maybe housing before pods, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do the omnipods have a bathroom inside of them? Because that would really make them useful. Well, in the future, we're just housing. we're just going to we're just going to download our brains to like robots like Adrian is deploying right now and we won't have to mm -hmm. go to the bathroom. So lovely. All right. You know, you know what? This is, this is got, it's got really dark. We didn't even get to talk about health tech. Um, Adrian, super quickly, tell us what the most exciting thing was in health tech that you saw this week. Again, uh, not, uh, it's not a, you know, super innovative, like hardware thing, but Movano and with things with things, which makes some of our favorite health tech, uh, you know, fitness trackers, uh, they are actually um, submitting data and clinical trials for FDA approval because most of like the vastly popular um, fitness tracking devices, we, we call them fitness trackers because we can't legally call them 
you know, health trackers, they are, don't have, they have not been cleared by the FDA. Even our, you know, like super favorite Apple watch is, has, is covered with disclaimers. Like here's all this medical tracking equipment, but you can't use it as a medical device. So. Right. Um, and it does have a, the, I think Apple watch has like de novo clearance for certain features, but it doesn't, mm -hmm. none of these are like FDA approved, right. As medical devices. Mm -hmm. But uh, Withings, uh, I think their their scan watch, which we really loved, was delayed for about six months because it for FDA approval, and now it's on the market. And one of the devices that I'm pretty excited about is the Movano watch, which kind of looks like the Aura Ring, or it's smaller than the Aura Ring that I'm currently wearing, but um, it is going to be certified as an FDA cleared device, and it's going to be monitoring really common health problems like diabetes and hypertension. And so like the idea that you could have a, you know, not a fitness tracker that's taking care of like yourself, like a Tamagotchi, as I think I saw on, you know, on Twitter today, like you're not counting your steps or like how many like squats you did. You're actually like have a really attractive light wearable that can help you monitor chronic health conditions. Like this is a good thing for the future as I see it. And Movano is uh, currently exploring ways to make their device more affordable and accessible. So that uh, that's also really exciting. Hackers and cybercriminals have always held this kind of special fascination. Obviously, I can't tell you too much about what I do. It's a game. Who's the best hacker? And I was like, well, this is child's play. I'm Dina Temple Raston, and on the Click Here podcast, you'll meet them and the people trying to stop them. We're not afraid of the attack. We're afraid of the creativity and the intelligence of the human being behind it. Click Here, stories about the people making and breaking our digital world. AI machines, satellite, engine ignition, click here, and liftoff. Click here, every Tuesday and Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. We've gotten some questions from the people who are watching on Twitter, so thank you for sending those in. And we're going to bring Julian back in, too, so he can participate in this, this um, Q&A round. Oh, my gosh, there are a lot of really good questions here. I don't... I, I don't even know where to start. Okay, there's a there's a really great one. Um, oh, here's a good one. Okay, this one is coming from Kate Kirkland, 11. Is there anything good you've seen for Wear OS, which is Google's uh, wearable OS? Uh, I'm gonna toss that one to Mike and Julian here. Yeah, sure. Um, there were two new Wear OS watches uh, from Fossil, one of the few companies still churning out uh, Wear OS watches consistently. Um, one of them, uh, unfortunately, they're not particularly new. Uh, you know, Fossil late last year came out with the Gen 6 watch with the new Qualcomm processor and everything. Uh, and so these two new watches, one of which is the Scoggin Falster uh, Gen 6 and a weird Razer collaboration. It was a Razer focused gaming watch. Um, it just pretty much is, you know, has a black and green theme like all of Razer's products. Um, but uh, that basically, they're basically the same product as the Fossil Gen 6. They have the same hardware. They're just 
looking like different products that match those respective brands. Um, there was one software announcements from, from Google related to Wear OS though. Um, they did say that soon you'll be able to unlock your Chromebook and your Android phone uh, by you know just having your uh, Wear OS watch on you, kind of like how I think you can do that with the Apple Watch and your iPhone. Mm -hmm. um, so you just have to, you know, as long as it's nearby your laptop or your, your phone, I think it'll just automatically unlock and that's nice, right? Yeah, ambient authentication. Um, do you think that uh, maybe there are a lot of uh, smartwatch manufacturers out there who are holding off on Wear OS because there are rumors that are circling that uh, Google is going to have its own Pixel Watch this year and maybe they don't want to like dip in if Google's going to come in and eat up all the candy? Uh, I don't think people are going to sort of avoid entering the market because there's so much uh, so much piece of the pie to sort of get the, you know, so Samsung only just joined the Wear OS ecosystem last year. And now you have this full groups of, you know, there's the Apple Watch ecosystem and then there's the Wear OS ecosystem. And now there's two groups kind of like Android and iOS. So there's a lot to sort of uh, a lot of people to uh, you know, have use your own little device. So I don't think it's going to shy people away from entering the market just because Google's going to make one, uh, especially because, you know, Pixel phones, as much as we like them, don't really have a lot of market share. <laughs> right. I kind of it's a lot to really uh, explode. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, but Wear OS 3 is going to be coming to more watches later this year. Um, so I think that is something to look out for. There's going to be a lot of activity there, whether or not Google has its own watch. Mike, you're a Pixel user. And, and so you don't wear an Apple watch. Um, and you often wear, if you're gonna wear a watch at all, you wear like an analog watch, right? So if there was a pixel made smartwatch, would that be the thing that, that pushed you into smartwatches? I don't know. Um, my big thing is that I don't like to have to charge my watch every day. Uh, so I wear a Withings Activite. I think it's an Activite Steel, uh, which I put a new battery in about once every 16 months. <laughs> Gotta love it. You're co-host of the Gadget Lab podcast, smart watch. folks. It is a smartwatch. It, it is, is a smartwatch. I, I gave it to a family member once, and he really liked it. So it's very, it's very simple. It's, it's very sleek looking too. Yeah. yeah. What a luxury! What a what a luxury to only be able to, to wear one watch per year, Mike. I think I have about six that are waiting <laughs> for me to switch on. So, I'm jealous. all right. Next question. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of us parents are still spending lots of pandemic QT uh, with our kiddos at home. I'm gonna take that to mean quality time and not quiet time. Any good kids or parenting tech we can look forward to? That's from Alice Bird. You know, I did get a lot of late in the game pitches for software for Chromebooks, um, but I was just commenting to Lauren and Mike, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old and uh, two years into this pandemic, uh, the uh, number of pitches for at-home solutions has steadily, you know, has steadily gone down. I think we're all, uh, all of us parents are getting, getting pretty tired. <laughs> so I don't, uh, I think the, the, Man, I wish, I wish I could help. I did have a, a really great um, pitch that I'm planning on, work, or a really great product that I was excited about. It is an outdoor gaming console, but it's really just like, you know, light up handheld toys that can get your kids outside running, like passing a lightning bolt 
or like whack playing like outdoor like AR whack-a-mole. So I am, I am pretty excited about that. That anything that can get kids like out, especially small ones, outside socializing safely, uh, that is uh, that's going to be way more exciting to me than anything on like any new tablets or software at this point. Fair enough. Um, all right, I really like this question because I've been thinking about this a lot. This is really open to the whole panel here. Do people really need to go to CES anymore now that we're pretty much virtual anyway? Are conferences in the metaverse just our, our new now? Oh, I like that, our new now. Um, what do we think? I'm just gonna jump right on in here. I miss CES so much. I miss getting to see you guys in person and continuing to be shocked by how tall Julian is in real life <laughs> versus, how, versus being like one inch tall on my screen. I miss the warm cheese. I miss being able to like pick up and see things in person because that's, you know, that's really what they pay us for. Like not everybody has the ability to be able to pick up a pair of, you know, of smart glasses and just be like, these feel like crap. Like that is, that is, you know, that hands-on like gut feeling, that emotional response that you get from picking up picking up a piece of hardware like i i miss that i don't think you're going to get it from a headset so that's mm -hmm. just my two cents there yeah i mean uh you know what one of my most favorite things i think of all CESs that i've ever attended yeah. was i discovered uh basically a chessboard with moving pieces that the pieces that move themselves uh through magnets and you're sort of just it was kind of crazy it's basically wizard's chess from harry potter and it was it blew my mind i i found it at some random booth in eureka park at ces like several years ago and to this day that's like one of the things that i think i'll eventually buy it's like 200 dollars, so it's pretty expensive but you know one day i'll buy it but it's it's one of those things that it's like i'm not gonna see that i'm not gonna i'm not gonna find that uh on like a virtual ces like uh, already i feel like i've had so much trouble finding a lot of these weird fun gadgets and gizmos that were so easy to come by before um now it's mostly you know the big announcements from the big companies which we all sort of get in our inboxes but uh it's just kind of hard and difficult to find those the the fun stuff from the weird you know french district of ces or wherever <laughs> really so uh, that's something that i definitely miss and um yeah hopefully next year i'll be traversing those halls yeah, Lay French Tech always has some of the best uh, best toys. You know, one of the things that often gets lost in the conversation is the fact that CES is fundamentally a B2B show, right? So it's like a business deal show. Uh, it's set up so that the person who is like the buyer for the big box store chain can show up and meet with the sales rep for Hisense Televisions and the sales rep for... I don't know, TCL vacuum cleaners and put in like millions of dollars worth of orders. So it's, it's a, it's a show where big retail deals get done and big distribution deals get done. And like that aspect pretty much has to be in person. I'm sure that there were a lot of deals done over the pandemic, not in person, but, mm -hmm. um, you know, it's part of like the healthy consumer electronics economy, that sort of face-to-face -face interaction is going to be critical. Uh, for us as journalists covering it, you know, I echo what everybody else just said. I, I really miss wandering aimlessly through the Las Vegas Convention Center for three days straight, bleary-eyed, shuffling my feet, undernourished, <laughs> 
just collecting <laughs> content to put onto the internet. Hashtag uh, content. I, I, I miss I miss um, celebrating your birthday in person in Las Vegas, Mike, because yes. every year your birthday falls either during CES or just afterwards. And so I have these great photos of CES 2020 of all of us packed into a restaurant, um, exchanging all kinds of respiratory droplets before we knew what was, what was imminent. And, and like you had, we get you vegan cupcakes and it's like a, you know, sometimes some adult beverages and it's, yeah, I mean that, that I really I really do I do miss that. I don't miss paying eleven dollars for a coffee at Bouchon Bakery in the Venetian every morning, but but I do but I do uh, I miss that a lot. And one of my my favorite CES stories, uh, similar to Julian's, is several years ago, I think it was twenty thirteen. I was on the ground for CES for like, you know, probably four or five days, very tired, on my way out, and an editor messaged me and said Lauren, everyone's talking about this thing. It's being shown in like a back room, like in a hotel room. Like you have to go see it. You have to go see it. And I was, I mean, I think I was like literally on my way out the door with luggage and I'm like, okay, I'll go see this thing. So I went to this hotel suite and it was Oculus and it was like, <sighs> blew my mind, like totally blew my mind. It was a Brendan Irby, 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 am I saying his name correctly? Sorry, Brendan, I'm butchering your name. Um, and it was just this big boxy thing, right? It had been crowdfunded and I'm not even a huge gamer. Um, and so I put it on and it was this first person shooter game. And even I was like, this is incredible. Like, I've just never had a computing experience like this before. Um, and I was kind of sold. And that was a CES thing. So, like, I mean, it wasn't like a, you know, it's not like it's big reveal was at CES. Obviously, people had been crowdfunding it, but it was the it was the first time a lot of us got to try it. It was very, very cool. Um, so, not yeah, not quite the same when, when someone's showing you a pair of smart glasses over a PowerPoint or something, that's for sure. Um, okay, I have one last question from our listeners that I want to get to. It's a life advice question. Thank you so much for sending this in. I did ask for life advice questions, and it's, it's for Snack Fight. Snack Fight, how do I become more extroverted during a pandemic? How do you become more? Please, Mike, help us. Help us. <laughs> help us uh, all. I don't want, this is not for me. I don't want to become more extroverted, but this person does. No, uh, I do. <laughs> okay, here's, here's my answer. Visit a nude beach. <laughs> like in the metaverse or in real life no in, in real life and what does like, that do well it's outdoors like... so it's safe social distancing wise and it's you know extroversion is built in okay on the, on the part of the person like you're tell a shy person a shy person should go to an, is the person going to be clothed at the nude beach or should they also be they should be participating this our the person asking this question should be participating in the nude beach yes okay what if they're in a cold weather climate um well the pandemic will probably still be going on in a few months gloves but, you know. and a hat gloves and a hat would allow you <laughs> to participate some socks hashtag yolo that's all I'm saying. Yellow. <laughs> that's oh. been that's been my theme for the last for the last couple of of months. You know, should I spend forty hours a week on puzzling places on the quest too? Yolo. 
yeah, you know, you only live, you only live through a pandemic <laughs> once. That's what I have to say. One hopes. Okay. <laughs> if you're lucky. So, it just turns out it lasts the rest of your life. So, okay. Um, for those of you who are still with us, we're so grateful for you. I'm pretty sure we just lost some listeners, but we love those of you who have remained. Um, we're reaching the end of our time together. We only have a few minutes left. But before we go, we did want to do just one thing. For those of you who listen to our podcast regularly, the Gadget Lab podcast, we always give a little recommendation at the end of every show. Um, this week, we're not doing our standard recommendations. Like, here's this thing I love. Go buy it. We are, once again, keeping this CES themed. Um, and we're going to do a lightning round. We're Each of us say the one thing that we found the most interesting or important at CES this year could be a product, could be a trend, could be, I don't know, your favorite nude beach. Just kidding. Adrian, <laughs> let's start with you. Um, what's the one thing, lightning round, that stood out to you most this year? Bikes. Bikes are going to continue to be important. There was a lot, I mean, and it's especially timely now with the passage of the Infrastructure Jobs Act, the Build Back Better bill. Um, yeah, they're not, they're not toys. They're for real. They go fast. You can get hurt. Get a good one. There you go. And you mean e-bikes or just bikes? E-bikes. Well, bikes e -bikes. too. You know, those are, those are fine. Those are, yeah. <laughs> Julian, yeah. what's your theme this year? What's your big theme? Uh, it's weird. It's uh, haptics. Uh, There's a lot of talk on haptics, which is basically the vibrations that come out of your, your phone or advanced uh, vibrations. Uh, a ton of uh, like laptop manufacturers are using haptic trackpads now, very much like, uh, you know, the force touch on, on MacBooks. And also I spoke to a company called Boreas Technologies that's uh, introducing this thing called Nexus Touch, which is their version of, um, so, you know, instead of making buttonless phones, as we might have heard from a couple of CESs ago, a lot of these are basically embedded into the sides of phones, and it lets you customize what types of buttons you add. Um, like if you want a camera shutter, you can add a camera shutter. But uh, the, the cooler thing for me is they're sort of being a bit more pragmatic and they understand that not everyone wants a buttonless phone. I don't want a buttonless phone. I like my buttons, but they're sort of adding to uh, what's already there. So they showed a retrofitted Google Pixel 4 with, uh, they basically put their technology into the volume rocker and they were able to sort of slide a finger down on the volume rocker to scroll through web pages or flip through the camera back to the rear camera into the front camera or, you know, zoom in and out of the camera. You just like all sorts of things that basically you can do. And I think that's just one of those things where, uh, you know, their sort of whole proponent was that they can uh, have localized vibrations straight to your fingers. So you really get like that tactile sensation that mimics whatever the manufacturer is kind of going for. So I think for me, it's what's cool about it is just, I think we're just going to see this wave of haptic feedback being more of a thing on all of our everyday gadgets. And I think that's very important because we touch our devices a lot. And that is just very nice to have uh, actual nice feelings and sensations when we actually use those things rather than cold, static, hard metal <laughs> feelings and sensations that's what you come to the gadget lab for uh thank you for that julian that's awesome looking forward to more feelings and sensations in 2022 i can't even say that word uh mike snack fight what's what's the thing that stood out to you most this week um the thing that i really like is uh what what i've seen I've seen this trend of creative uses of AI for cameras. Like we've seen a lot of fun AI powered, like computer vision powered uh, features in cameras over the last couple of years. But at CES, we saw um, 
company Eufy, which I believe is a sub-brand of Anchor, if I'm getting that right, yes. Um, they made a security camera that recognizes package deliveries. So like it has computer vision in the camera and it actually has a camera that faces down onto your doorstep. It's a, it's a doorbell camera. So just like a, a doorbell, you walk up and you press the button and then it, you know, shows the, the, shows your face on the person's device or on their smart home, uh, display or whatever uh this has an additional camera that recognizes package deliveries and you know who doesn't like that who doesn't like being able to just not have to go downstairs and look and see if the package has been delivered but just look on your phone and oh there's a package there um what else there was a uh the john deere self-driving tractor that has 20 cameras on the outside of it and it uses them for collision avoidance like you think about collision avoidance for things like drones and self-driving cars but now that same technology is on self-driving tractors. Uh, we saw a bird feeder called, I think it's called the Bird Buddy, which can uh, recognize birds and help identify birds using AI because it has a camera on it. So when a bird what? lands and feeds, it snaps a little picture and sends it to your phone and says, hey, there's a new bird that's visited you today. And like, this is all really cool stuff. And it's all software. You know, the hardware has been around for years and just these little software improvements that make things more fun, more useful. I'm always down for that. Um, what would you say is your pick, Lauren? Um, I would just like to say that my cat has already volunteered to be a content moderator for the Bird Buddy to train the AI. <laughs> um, really wants to identify all those different birds. Um, we talked a little bit about this earlier, and mostly we talked about how Adrian has been schooling me in FitXR on MetaQuest 2, but... I think the thing I'm most excited about are all these advancements in AR and VR. And some of what we saw this week was, in fact, incremental. Um, when I think about something like Vuzix, right? Vuzix AR glasses have been around for a while. They mostly sell into the enterprise market. But they shut off a new pair of glasses this week that's a little bit lighter and slimmer than their earlier form factors. Uh, Panasonic, a couple of years ago, announced Steam VR compatible goggles. Um, and they finally said they're going to ship this year. They're going to be $900. And they're a relatively compact pair of VR goggles with super high resolution in each eye. Um, and then we mentioned the Sony uh, PlayStation VR 2 headset and controllers whenever that comes out. And one of the interesting things about that is that the headset itself will offer some kind of um, vibration feedback as you're using it, at least according to Sony. So these are all interesting things. And I think in general, it's going to be a pretty big year for AR and VR, which is what I will continue to call it instead of the quote unquote metaverse. Uh, who am I joking? Who am I kidding? We're going to call it the metaverse. And I would like to put out a call for developers to put uh, more games on the, you know, specifically for VR, whether that's the Quest 2 or, you know, any of the other new VR headsets that are coming out because uh, we have a thirst for blood and yellow. So, yeah. <laughs> I have to cut you off there because we have to wrap <laughs> YOLO theme of the show. Um, that's our show. Thank you so much, Julian and Adrian, for joining Mike and I. This has been super fun. And thanks to all of you for listening. And thanks to everyone who watched live um, and sent in your questions. We really appreciate it. This special live episode was produced by Jane Garcia Books and Chris Kona. Uh, thanks to Repertoire Productions for running the video for us. Our show is produced by Boone Ashworth every week. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Gadget Lab. So be sure to tune in. I'm Lauren Good from Wired. Thanks again and have a good night.
Hi, I'm Jeremy Larson, the Reviews Director of Pitchfork, and this podcast is supported by Pitchfork Music Festival. Pitchfork Music Festival will take place July 19th through the 21st at Union Park in Chicago, Illinois. This year's lineup features Jamie XX, Alanis Morissette, Black Pumas, Carly Rae Jepsen, Brittany Howard, Jay Paul, Muna, Jesse Ware, 100 Gex, and many more. The festival also features diverse vendors as well as specialty record, poster, and craft fairs and works to support local businesses while promoting the Chicago arts and food communities as a whole. For more information on tickets and lineup, visit pitchforkmusicfestival.com.